Hi everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. I hope everything's going well for you. I'm doing pretty well myself. My dog Finley has been barking like a monster lately. You see, the problem is that there's children outside in the neighborhood playing. Now, it's unclear whether Finley loves that there are children outside in the neighborhood or hates that there are children outside in the neighborhood. My suspicion is that it's kind of like the internet in general's reaction to pretty much anything happening, which is he doesn't actually yet have enough information to understand how he feels about the situation. But regardless, he has very strong opinions, and it's vitally important that everyone hear them immediately. Zing. Take that, the internet. Take that, my dog who I love. Oh boy, I'm on a tear. Well, we have a ridiculous amount of comic book to cover. I mean, it's just one issue, but good gravy is there a lot of comic book in this comic book. So without any further ado, let's ado this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Jesse Cooper, who you can check out on his podcast, Alphabet Flight. These sad teens have to beat a villain named Nuke Fist. I hope they live long enough to hear the synopsis. Thanks, Jesse. Sorry, I had a little trouble with the meter on that one. New Teen Titans, number 14, December 1981. Revolution. Written by Marv Wolfman, drawn by George Perez, with inks by Romeo Tangal. Teen Titan Roll Call. Cyborg. Kid Flash. Robin. Starfire. Raven. Wonder Girl. Beast Boy. Previously in New Teen Titans. Beast Boy's stepdad, Steve Dayton, the fifth richest and therefore fifth most trustworthy man in America, went searching for his wife's killers, Madame Rouge and the sinister General Zal. Then he went missing himself. So Beast Boy sent his old buddy Cliff Steele, a former race car driver and current robot man who calls himself Robot Man, searching for Steve. Then Robot Man went missing. Oopsie, starting to see a trend here. Beast Boy probably would have gone searching for his missing mechanical buddy himself, but he got distracted by being mostly murdered by the malicious mercenary Deathstroke. The Titans carted their not-totally-terminated teammate off to Donna's Wonder Girlhood home of Paradise Island to be healed up by the panacea powers of the puissant plot device, the Purple Ray. Robin, Kid Flash, and Cyborg scampered off to Uganda in search of the AWOL android Robot Man. The good news was, they found him. Hooray! The bad news is, he was dead. Oh no! But the other good news was, no he wasn't. Hooray! What an emotional roller coaster! The trio of teens found Cliff's body trussed up to the outside of a nifty looking ziggurat. Cyborg used his mechanical know how and Swiss Army body to patch up the ailing android adventurer. The newly repaired robot man led his adolescent rescuers to a secret passageway he found beneath the ziggurat. Wally scouted ahead a bit and reported that there was a whole underground city down there being run by Madame Rouge and General Zal. Rouge and Zal? Those are the assholes Steve Dayton went looking for in the first place. That can only mean that everyone's fifth favorite financially fortunate father figure must be nearby. Sure enough, the Spelunking superheroes soon stumbled across Steve's cell. Unfortunately, the detained Dayton had been pumped full of more drugs than a trust fund kid on the third night of Coachella. He kept urgently muttering something about Mento. The fresh maker? Did the medicated millionaire have super shitty breath? Probably, but he was also probably referring to the special suit he had made that harnesses and amplifies his psychic powers, which he calls the Mento suit, but I call the fresh maker. Wally poked around at super speed for a second and found the suspiciously poorly guarded Freshmaker conveniently packed up in a gift box. 
Our heroes easily managed to defeat a handful of inept gods and escape from the underground fortress, fleeing into the surrounding jungle. Hmm, that seemed a little too easy. Meanwhile, back on Paradise Island, Beast Boy got healed up by the Purple Ray, which briefly turned him into a kill-crazy monster. Seemed like it was going to be a whole thing, but then Raven calmed him down and it wasn't. Anticlimactic! An ancient Greek uber-douche sun god used his douchey powers to fuck with Donna's emotions, which sucked. And Starfire rode a giant mutant kangaroo to win an Amazonian demolition derby, which was fucking rad! Gadzooks! Will Steve's mento suit make him fresh and full of life? What other secrets does Madame Rouge's mysterious underground fortress hold? And now that Robot Man, Steve Dayton, and Beast Boy have regained their freedom and consciousness, which hero will be knocked unconscious and imprisoned next? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so... Sure, provided that by fresh and full of life you mean delirious and filled with a murderous rage, which was pretty much always my reaction to those Mentos ads. Quite a few, actually, the main one being that it is capable of transcontinental flight, and all of them. It is a nine-way tie. Starfire, Wonder Girl, Raven, and Beast Boy take the Titan's spare jet, which I guess is something that they have, to meet up with the rest of the team in Uganda. For the first time in three issues, the whole team is back together, and they're all pretty stoked to see each other. Everyone seems to be of the general opinion that Beast Boy not being dead anymore is probably a good thing. Robin notices that Donna seems a little bummed out from the whole ancient Greek douche lord hijacking all of her feelings thing, but she really doesn't want to talk about it. Fair enough. Raven approaches Wally and is all like, Hey Wally, we need to talk, and by we I mean me. You see, I now realize that emotionally manipulating you into falling in love with me was maybe sort of fucked up. Sorry about that. Also, I totally like you. I mean, like, like you, and we should date, but also I don't want to date anyone right now. But I do like you. Anyway, good talk. And Wally's like, uh, okay. Ah, uh, teenage love. Starfire flirts with Robin, which makes Robin super uncomfortable. Robot Man objectifies his buddy Beast Boy's teenage teammates, which makes me super uncomfortable. Steve Dayton won't shut the fuck up about putting on his damn Freshmaker suit. Beast Boy is all like, Shut up about the damn Freshmaker, Steve. You're not my real dad. I know you never wanted to adopt me. Gee, sure seems like Gar and his stepdad are having some trouble getting along. If only they had a common experience they could bond about. Something like, oh, I don't know, reacting to being saved by flying into a mindless murderous rage and using your powers to try to kill the people who just rescued you? Well, speak of the devil. As soon as the Titans relent to Steve's incessant demands to be allowed to put on his Freshmaker suit, the recently rescued Dayton unleashes a mental blast that sends the Titans flying. Huh. You'd think being drugged into a stupor would hinder your telepathic abilities a little bit. But apparently not. In fact, Dayton is on the verge of killing all of the Titans when Raven intervenes. Does she use her empathic abilities to soothe Steve and get him to snap out of it the way she did his adopted son, Beast Boy, back on Paradise Island? Not exactly. Instead, she opts to go t'other way with this one. Remember how she just gave Wally that big speech about how she knows that using her powers to fuck with other people's emotions is wrong? The one from just a few seconds ago? Remember that? Because Raven sure doesn't because she reckons that the best way to defuse this here Freshmaker situation is to pop inside Steve's mind and convince him that he is double-murdering his deceased wife, Rita. Damn it, Raven! Everyone congratulates Raven on what a good thing she just did. Damn it, Titans! Meanwhile, from their subterranean ziggurat fortress, the murderous fuckwads, Madame Rouge and General Zal, are watching events unfold on their sciencey version of a crystal ball. Turns out they were the ones who had programmed Steve to go all Manchurian candidate on his buddies. Well, duh. They aren't super stoked to see that Raven's horrifying gambit foiled Steve's pre-programmed mental murders, but 
They also don't seem that bummed out about it. Turns out fucking with Steve's brain is just kind of a hobby. They have bigger metaphoric fish to fry. Rouge turns her attention from the science ball and places a call to Henri Duchamp, her operative in Zandia. What's Zandia, you ask? Why, it's a tiny country in the Baltic Sea with a mysterious hidden secret. They have no imports or exports and their citizens seem happy but apparently aren't, which is something that has to do with the hidden secret thing. Henri tells Rouge that everything is going according to plan, and then as soon as he hangs up, someone murders him. Oh, good, another complicated plot. Because we are on page 10 of this comic book, and clearly there is not enough going on already. Back in Uganda, Steve's more or less back to his old self. Mostly. He still doesn't remember most of the last year or so, but he does remember the origin of Doom Patrol, so that's something, I guess. I mean, it's kind of weird because he wasn't there for the founding of Doom Patrol, but he has a flashback about it anyway. And he decides to tell the Titans and us readers about it. Okay, Super Cliff Notes version. Once upon a time, there was a group of heroes called the Doom Patrol. They were a bunch of weirdos and nobody liked them, but then they all fight crime together and then everybody liked them and they liked each other. Then Madame Rouge and General Zal murdered them and it was sad. Especially for Steve, who was married to one of them, an actress named Rita Farr, who called herself Elastigirl, because she could grow real big. Like, unelastic, I guess? Oh, and it turns out Robot Man wasn't really dead. The end. Anyway, Steve went looking for Rouge and Zal so he could beat them up or kill them or something. He had his scientist whip him up the Freshmaker suit to boost his psychic powers, and flew off to Uganda, where he figured the murderers would be hiding for some reason. Well, he figured right. Only apparently, his recent bout of amnesia isn't the first time Steve's had issues with his memory. In his quest for vengeance, he promptly forgot two important pieces of information. One, Madame Rouge is a shapeshifter, and B, his dead wife is dead. When Steve runs into his deceased wife Rita in the middle of the jungle, instead of suspecting that it might be the shape-shifting villainess he's hunting, he decides to go ahead and give her a big old smooch. Bad move, Steve. Maybe you could have had those scientists tweak the Freshmaker a bit so that it could boost your deductive reasoning, like up to the level of a turtle? Because it turns out that the smoochie was in fact the disguised Madame Rouge, who popped Steve in a dungeon and started dosing him and brainwashing him and shit. After hearing Steve's story, Gar is super pissed and wants to go after Zal and Rouge. The Titans are like, geez Gar, calm down, what's the big deal? It's not like they murdered your mom and your best friends or... Oh, wait. Donna specifically is like, look buddy, we're all upset that those guys murdered your family, but you don't see us storming off half-cocked. Look, Donna, I know you've been through some shit lately, and I know it's Beast Boy and all, but the guy gets to have his own feelings about his mom's getting murdered. Beast Boy gives a little speech about how he makes jokes all the time to mask the pain, but actually turns out having two sets of parents be murdered really sucks. Kind of a lot. Then he turns into a toucan and flies back to the ziggurat to seek his bloody vengeance. Huh. Toucan. Interesting choice. Maybe he can follow his nose to murderers. The Titans are about to chase off after him so they can say, sorry, we'll totally pitch in with the whole bloody vengeance thing. But before they can, the Earth starts quaking. Quaking Earth, eh? Why, that sounds like it might be an earthquake. Yeah, that's what the Titans thought too, but turns out, nope. The shaking and rumbling is actually the result of a certain hidden underground fortress firing off its rockets and heading into the sky, plotting a course for the Baltic Sea. To be continued. Right now, because we are barely two-thirds of the way through this issue. Jesus Christ, there's a lot of comic book in this comic book. Now, where were we? Oh yeah, Baltic Sea. Why does that sound familiar? Right, right, Zandia, the recently introduced island nation with a dark secret and a murdered Madame Rouge minion. Anyway, by the time Rouge's currently airborne, recently subterranean, no longer hidden fortress city, which I'm going to call New Laputa, 
arrives in the skies over Zandia, it has acquired, unbeknownst to its owners, a grimly resolved green-skinned stowaway, who will soon be horrified at what he is about to witness. On the ground, President Frederick Graves of Zandia is out glad-handing his constituents, when suddenly, he becomes uniquely unfit for office. You see, in order to be a head of state, you need to have a head. And Rouge's flying cyber soldiers just lasered Graves right off his shoulders. Ouch. Suddenly the skies are filled with thousands of the flying, laser-wielding henchmen who start murdering the Zandian citizens indiscriminately. The Titans, who have been following close behind in one of their Titan jets, attempt to intervene. Starfire, Wonder Girl, Raven, and Wally leap from the plane and into the fray, and are soon overwhelmed by the sheer number of their foes. The rest of the Titans look on in horror as Robin searches in vain for a place to land. Suddenly, Cyborg spots a familiar-looking green teen clinging to the size of Nulaputa, beckoning them closer. The Titans assume that it's their teammate requesting assistance. But how does that saying go? When you assume... Madame Rouge, who has disguised herself as Beast Boy, whips out a laser cannon and blasts your plane out of the sky. Well, that old axiom proves to be true, because that is exactly what happens. The unconscious Titans, along with Robot Man and Steve Dayton are all collected by Rouge and her minions and taken captive. Well, almost all of the Titans. The actual Beast Boy has been knocked out and taken captive by an entirely different supervillain. Or should I say supervillains? I should. I should say that. Because Gar awakens to find himself surrounded by a colorfully clad group of evildoers led by a super-intelligent ape with a French accent and a disembodied brain sitting on a mechanical pedestal. Could it be... Yup. The emphatic word bubble at the bottom of the page clearly informs us that the Brotherhood of Evil lives again. Oh goody, because what this storyline clearly needs right now is to introduce six more characters. And joining us once again is my good for many things brother Corey. Corey, how's it going? It's going good. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing okay. Good. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to warn our listeners, this is our third try... <laughs> Is it fourth now? This is the fourth one. This is our fourth try at recording the first three or four minutes of this podcast. We're in rare form, and we'll see how this works out. What'd you think of the issue? I thought it was enjoyable. I thought there was a lot of words and a lot of action. There was. A lot happened in this issue. I liked it. I liked it better rereading it than I did on the initial read, and I thought there were some really fun touches, and there are parts where you can kind of see... Marf Wolfman really uh, flexing his writing muscles in uh-huh. this one. Yep. And it, it's it's kind of fun. He, he's scr- stretching, and you can kind of feel that he's having some fun with it. Well, you got to stretch before you flex. Oh, no, I know. Otherwise, you're gonna, you'll get a writing Charlie horse. Yeah. Or a herniated writing disc. Yeah. But a couple of times, especially the way the issue ends, mm-hmm. where there's a the little panel at the back where it's like, the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants are back, and then there's a little caption box where it just goes, oh boy, are they ever. Yeah. There are a couple of little touches like that, and I really enjoyed them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the prose is, is good, too, especially in the little exposition boxes. Yeah, but you're right, a lot happens in this issue, and it's setting up big things, and I'm not exactly sure what they are. Mm-hmm. Because I have no memory of having read these comic books before. Have I think you? I have. I read the first like 40 issues of the New Teen Titans, but I don't remember any of it. Like, really any of it. I think I was in kind of a fugue state. I read mm. the whole run, I think, in like a day. How did you accomplish that? That's a 
Did you, somebody just give you like 40 issues and be like, here, these are I was working on putting the collection together and when, and I waited to read any of them until Uh. I had all of them. And then once I did, I, it wasn't just those. I just binge read a ton of comics and it was like in a weekend and I was, it must've been some kind of like a fugue state Mm. because, because I don't remember the comics. And also when I woke up, I was naked and covered in blood. Oh yeah. That's not great. Well, it's not ideal. No. (laughs) Wait, the comic books were okay. I I put them back in their bags with boards. Okay, cool. So yeah, they're not all sticky or anything. You would have noticed. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I mean, we're working off the same comic book here. Yep. (laughs) Good condition. Yeah. Crisis averted. Thank goodness. Yeah. So let's start talking about some of the ancillary characters that we get to meet a little bit in this comic book. We get Steve Dayton. What did you think of him? Eh, like, what happened to you, man? Well, I mean, supervillains killed his family and friends. That's one thing that happened to him. Is Steve Dayton the Mento guy? Yeah. He's the fresh maker. Is that why? Oh, that's why he's all all mixed up. Not because they messed around with his noodle? Well, they also messed around with his noodle. Oh. You read this comic book, right? Yes, I did. Did they <laughs> explain that and I somehow missed it? I, like, he was their prisoner and, and then... Yeah, they took him prisoner. Mm-hmm. She, Madame Rouge, pretended to be his dead wife mm-hmm. and trapped him in the jungle. Yep, the really and awkward And then kept kiss. him prisoner for over a year and... Drugged him and messed with his mind and programmed him to try to kill the new Teen Titans. That's what happened to him. It was all right there in the story. Yeah. I remember now. Yep. That's what his deal is. Okay. Yeah, I felt bad for him, but... You also also... didn't remember who he was or what his deal was. I remembered who he was. I didn't remember exactly his deal. I thought it was a little bit funny, too, though. The way in which his dialogue with him needing suit... Oh, yeah. Needing costume. Must have costume. Mento costume. Ah... Yeah, he was kind of Frankenstein in it in. Yep. I will say one thing that I do like about him. First of all, they all bag on this costume. I think it's a perfectly fine costume. It's got a weird-shaped head. But other than that, blue and yellow look nice together. It's got some lightning bolts. It's yeah. not bad. That's true. The other thing that is a little bit unnerving to me about this this character is this premise. And, and I know it's come up before, but basically, if you have the resources, an ordinary dude can become super powerful. Well, okay. First of all, he is super rich. He is... I don't know if he mentions this, the but richest the man. fifth richest man in the United States. Yeah, no Mr. Jupiter, but... No, no. He's only the fifth richest and therefore fifth most trustworthy. Still pretty good. It's still pretty good, but it's only in America Mr. Jupiter was in the world. Oh. So, mm. yeah. He's a poor man's Mr. Jupiter. But <laughs> it does say that he had his scientists design the suit that augmented his already psychic abilities so he already had mental powers he just had his scientists help amplify them i just thought he was being immodest uh i don't think that's kind of his deal he seems if anything to be a little bit too modest Mm. but one of the things that i kind of like about steve dayton is the idea that his character is a billionaire which in many ways is like okay so you can be a superhero like batman or like nighthawk or like moon knight and he has innate psychic abilities and has those amplified by his richness powers. Mm-hmm. But he's not a superhero. And he, for the most part, doesn't try to be. He's not a supervillain, certainly. But he's got powers. He's not cut out for a superhero life. And that's something that doesn't come up in comic books that often. And I kind of like the idea. And it's also such that maybe he's made peace with this, but the powers that be, in this case, Rouge and 
yeah. all are going to exploit that and be like, oh, don't want to be a superhero? That's too bad. Well, I mean, he did put on his super suit and go looking for them to seek revenge. And he's really bad at it. Because he apparently forgot both that his wife was dead and that the woman who he was seeking revenge against for killing her had shape-shifting abilities. Leading to one of the funniest awkward panels I've ever seen drawn. Yeah, the awkward kiss? Yeah. Yeah, let's take a look at that right now. He looks so freaked out. He's like, uh, these lips are too cold. There's, this is not Rita. Oh my god, um, it's too late. I can't get away. And it really captures all of that, I feel like. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That, yeah. It looks like he is just shocked and surprised and like, she is just a very, very bad kisser too. <laughs> it looks like she's just trying to eat his lower lip. I feel like I've maybe encountered that before. That is something. Yeah, so that's kind of Steve Dayton. We, we're filled in on him, and then he freaks out, tries to kill everybody. Raven calms him down, and they fills it in a bunch of exposition. Um, something does happen when he is trying to kill them all, though. Well, a few things happen. He is crazy powerful with this Mento suit. He is more than a match for all of them, and if they don't get him to stop trying to kill them, he would have just killed them. Mm -hmm. When he is trying to kill Gar, Gar is attacking him. It's not mentioned overtly, but the form that Gar chooses when he attacks him is one that we haven't seen in this comic book, but we have seen in the old series. Because it took me aback. It's like, normally in this, he turns into like a snake or a cheetah or a hawk. Mm -hmm. And that's mostly it. Sometimes he'll be a lion. Sometimes he'll be a gorilla. Rhino, maybe. When he is fighting for his life in this, I think it's because he's fighting Mento, too. Oh. He turns into a baboon. And I'm wondering if he has turned into the albino baboon that he turned into in the original Teen Titans series and is trying to hypnotize Mento right back at him. That is interesting. I was trying to figure out what was going on. I choose to believe that is what is happening. I don't think that's what Wolfman wrote. I think that's what George Perez was like, oh, you know what I'll have him do? This will be a fun little thing for me. Because mm -hmm. I know that Perez had been a fan of the initial Teen Titans run. Mm. And, I mean, obviously, Wolfman had worked on the original Teen Titans run, but I honestly never get the impression that he was that fond of it. Mm. Yeah, I think that Garfield has turned into the most hypnotic of all creatures, the albino baboon. Only a green albino baboon, because that's what he does. But, yeah, I thought, I thought that was a fun little callback, if that's what it was. It might be nothing, but I choose to believe that. At first, I thought that he was drawn as a lion, and they got, but just a shitty tiny lion? Yeah, or he like got captured in Mento's like ray that stopped him. And then he was just really freaked out and had big eyes. And I was like, wait, no, that's the monkey thing. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's a baboon. Which I'm still not sure why baboons are hypnotic, but that is something that pops up in comics a lot. Enjoy. Baboons are mandrills. Enjoy. Yeah. Enjoy. Enjoy. <laughs> the other thing that happens is the way that they actually do defeat him super skeezed me out. Because it's Raven assumes the form of the dude's dead wife and is like, why are you killing me? Dude, that's so fucked up. Mm -hmm. I feel like Raven could have gone for a different route there. But I feel like she usually goes for the creepiest way possible to get shit done. This is right after talking to Wally and just being like, dude, sorry, Wally, that was super lame that I, you know, made you. I hated me. her talk with Wally. But are we cool? Because, like, whatever, I'd probably like you, I guess, if I can, like, stop being such a weirdo. Yeah, her talk with Wally is like, hey, Wally, we need to talk. <laughs> and Wally's like, oh, um, yeah, sure, okay, what's up? She's like, 
we need to talk about us. And he's like, oh, is there an us? And you can see, like, he's getting his hopes up. And he, he's like, yeah, we can talk about our relationship. And she's like, yeah, I totally am realizing now that it was super wrong of me to be emotionally manipulative of you. And that was really fucked up. It's like, okay, cool. Uh, so are we dating? And she's like, but I need you to know that I just, I really like you. And he's like, oh, it's like, but I can't see anybody just yet. Oh, okay. So this was all for Raven. Like, this doesn't make Wally feel any better. Nope. It doesn't clear anything up. It's really selfish of Raven. Just wants a pass. Yeah. Boo! Yeah. And then she wants to, well, I guess she doesn't want to. She is being, she does save all of their lives. By making Steve Dayton, a dude who has been kidnapped and drugged after having someone else assume the identity of his dead wife, then he, she makes him think that he is killing his own dead wife again. Fucked up, man. Yeah. It reminds me of when she decided to soothe Grant Wilson and give him a vision that would send him calmly to his, like when she realized he was dying, and that that vision was of him having murdered everybody. Or... When she jarred the Titans out of attacking the Justice League by making them think that they had killed them all. She instantly goes to the most horrific option of psychic manipulation. Yeah. Azeroth. Yeah, man. Azeroth's a fucked up place. Don't go. No. I'm never going there. I don't care if it looks like the dopest of prog rock album covers. Does look pretty dope. That looks really dope. But those guys are a bunch of dicks. Yeah, don't go. You'll start making people have bad visions. Yeah. Oh, that sounds kind of fun, too. Oh, ah, god oh, damn it. I'm oh, sorry. Ravening yep. out on us. I'm sorry. Flip flop. So let's let's talk about a couple of more characters who show up in here. Uh, Madame Rouge. Thoughts? Uh, Pretty creepy. Yeah. Super creepy. Very powerful. Yeah. I had not realized the extent of her past with Doom Patrol. I know that she had been... They always say that she was the one who killed them. I guess technically it was General Zal who killed the Doom Patrol, but it was her plan that she set up all in place, and then they weren't supposed to die at the end. They were just supposed to feel bad because they were responsible for a bunch of civilians. A small town called, like, Codsville, Maine. Yeah, of fishing. Them all, a fishing village. Yeah. they. She really just wanted to kill those 14 people and make Doom Patrol feel shitty about it, and she did not think that they would choose... Other to sacrifice their own lives. And then Zal went ahead and pushed the button, basically. I guess also at one point, she had been in love with the leader of the Doom Patrol. And he had, like, worked with her and tried to make her be a good guy. She went back and forth between being a good guy and a bad guy. Which is kind of reductive terms, but it's a Silver Age comic book that we're talking about. And then, also, she started off being just good at makeup and, like good at disguising herself and then later she got like crazy implants and she can change her body shape and stuff Mm -hmm. and she's evil and she sucks but she's kind of conflicted what do you think's going on with zandia well we did learn that uh they have no economy but everybody is well healed that they're all expatriates sure and uh there are some french-speaking people there yeah I don't know what to deduce from that. There, there's a ton. I don't know what's going on either. They're, they've set up a ton of shit about Zandia. There's also, I, I mentioned uh, Wolfman kind of stretching his writing muscles. I've brought up before the fact that the new Teen Titans gets compared to the X-Men comics that are coming out at this time a lot. 
he does something in this issue that Chris Claremont does in that comic book a lot that they've talked about a a bunch on the wonderful podcast, Jane Miles Explain the Mm X-Men, which is the fact that if you meet a new character and he is given a first and last name, that good dude's going to die within like two panels. Mm. And it happens twice in this issue. Mm. Once, actually, he doesn't get the name until after he dies. Henri Duchamp. Oh, yeah. Who, I guess, was spying for... Madame Rouge, Mm -hmm. and somebody shows up and murders him. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure it was the Brotherhood of Evil, which I am going to keep wanting to call the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, Mm. which is another weird X-Men Doom Patrol Mm -hmm. parallel. The Brotherhood of Evil is interesting. We're not going to get into them too much. They show up at the very end of this comic book, and there's just way too much to cover in this issue. But we should talk about them more next time. They were Madame Rouge's old group of evil buddies, And then in the same issue that she killed the Doom Patrol, first she killed them. Ah. Or appeared to have. Because Mm. two of them show up in here from the original Doom Patrol. At least two, because there's Monsieur Mala, who I fucking love, and The Brain. Yeah, we'll get more on them later. But So there's some kind of a struggle going on between groups of evil bad guys for Zandia. Shit gets fucking violent in a really disturbing way with what's happening in Zandia. Mm-hmm. Like, the guards just show up and start killing random civilians, kind of a lot of them. They also start with the uh, president getting his head lasered off. Man. In spectacular fashion. That was crazy. Yeah. And that was, I'm just going to read the dialogue around that, because that was actually really, I, I mean, it, it's ghoulish to say this, but that was really fun. <laughs> Yeah, like, movie-like, almost. President Frederick Graves. A name quite apropos, considering a grave is all he'll be fit for in exactly 3.7 sec. Then we see his head exploding with a laser beam that goes, zwit, as two people look on in horror. And the caption just says, my, how time flies. Mm -hmm. That's one thing. But really, it is the fact that then these... Robot-looking guards just show up and start murdering civilians. Tons of them. Very murdery. Very murdery. One of the architects behind the murder, General Zal. Mm -hmm. It's weird. If you see General in front of somebody's name in a comic book, Mm -hmm. chances are they're evil. Good point. I feel like the higher your military rank, the greater a chance you have of being evil. Mm. In a comic book. Mm -hmm. Maybe in real life. Don't know. Like... Sergeant, I can only think of examples of heroes being sergeants. Slaughter. Sure, Sergeant Slaughter. Now, he went back and forth in wrestling between being a heel and a face. But in the G.I. Joe cartoons, good guy. Mm -hmm. You got Sergeant Rock. You got Sergeant Fury and Mm -hmm. his Howlin' Commandos. Mm -hmm. Colonels, you can go either way with that. Colonel Fury, good guy. Colonel Clink, bad guy. I guess technically Hogan's Heroes isn't a comic book, but... Yeah, Colonel Bruce Hampton in the Aquarium Rescue Unit. What? It's, it's a jam band. <laughs> <laughs> I think that counts as supervillains. Okay. Where is this jam band from? I don't know, but if I had to guess, I'd say Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> How do you know them? I saw them play music once when I was a young person in college. Ah. Yeah. I found it delightful. I think at this point in life, I would be less inclined to enjoy yeah this was when you had long dreadlocks could be yeah i'm pretty sure yeah what was the name of this i colonel bruce hampton 
I, that's what I want to say. I may be complete. And his aquarium rescue unit? Yeah, that part I'm sure of. The, <laughs> the last name of the colonel I'm a little fuzzy on. Dude, I would totally read a comic book called that. I do not want to listen to that jam band, but that actually sounds pretty rad. Yeah, that's a good name. Uh, Captain. Again, Captain's one that I think can go either way. Usually seems to be hero, but... And also possibly colonels outrate captains. I don't know how military rankings work. I know a general's pretty high, though. Yeah. Um, and if you're a general, then chances are you're evil. You got your General Ross, you got your General Talbot, you get... The best you can hope for if you were a general is being an inept buffoon in a comic book. Mm. Like, that's best case scenario. Probably you're going to be evil. You're going to be a General Zod. You're going to be a General Zal. Here's the thing about General Zal. Mm. He's a Nazi, so mm. obviously evil. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, knock on wood... He dies later in this comic book by sitting in a big pile of pudding, saying, oh, my bottom, and then falling off a cliff. We can only hope. Uh, as we have established, should, and eventually will happen to all Nazis. Mm-hmm. I think he just gave himself the rank of general because he was a submarine U-boat captain. Mm. And he had been called Captain Zoll when he first started tussling with the Doom Patrol. Mm-hmm. And at that point, Third Reich is over. Mm-hmm. That was where he attained the rank of captain. Now he's a general. Did he just promote himself? I think they can do that. That's fucked up, man. Well, it's not like there's like a supervillain military Yeah, but he's retired. I feel like once you're retired, you stop your upward mobility. I think that that's why people become supervillains, so that they can do things like that. Just be like, you know what? I'm a general. Hmm. I'm going to go build robots and kill a bunch of people now. Yeah, okay. See, at first I was starting to come around and appreciate the chutzpah. Of just naming herself. I mean, obviously I don't appreciate this guy, but, uh, because he's a Nazi and, you know, sitting Mm -hmm. some pudding. Oh, my bottom! And then you fall off a cliff. Right. But, like, I do like the idea of, like, yeah, I'm my own military. I I do what I want. But, but yeah, the Nazis, the killing Nazis and the killer robots. Mm -hmm. It's fucked up. I guess, you know what I'm coming down to? It turns out we have rules for a reason. Oh? Yeah. Hmm. And that's so that nobody (laughs) makes killer robots. I don't know. That's You only need one rule for that. Don't make killer robots. Oh, yeah. I think that is actually... A, isn't that the first rule of robotics? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it's paraphrasing, but sure. Right. Yeah. Okay, see, that's that's why we need rules. Yeah. I don't know what the other... What are the other five rules of robots? Oh, I don't remember. I haven't read that for a long time. Okay, I've never actually read it. Let's make up the other four rules of robots. Um, have a good rule for robots. Okay, number one, with a bullet, five rules <laughs> of robots. Mm-hmm. Robots can't kill people. Yep. Okay, rule number two. Uh, robots should have a sense of humor. Oh, boy, that's really difficult. <laughs> Just think of the hilarity that would ensue. Oh, man, no. I don't think that's a good rule, Corey. I mean, I'm not coming up with a different one, because I don't think we're going to get to five anyway. But I keep coming back to that episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, where Dana tries to learn humor. Oh, Jesus, good point. And Joe Piscopo shows up on the holodeck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And everybody agrees that Joe Piscopo's the funniest comedian who ever lived. Okay, bad rule. Yeah, it's a bad rule, but it's our rule now. I guess robots have to try to have a sense of humor. <laughs> You're responsible am... retroactively for Joe Piscopo being on the holodeck. That's the case. All right. Rule number three of robots. Hmm. See, they can't kill people. Mm-mm. They have to have a sense of humor. Mm-hmm. About, um... They shouldn't be allowed to wear the clothing of their um, human employers. No, I don't want to be. Why would that be bad? 
Well, because, like, what if you get up one morning and you're like, oh, man, I'm going to wear that tracksuit. <laughs> oh, oh, you mean, there. like, specifically, they shouldn't, they be, shouldn't like, be allowed to steal some steal your clothing. Or just wear it. But they can wear human clothes. Like, you're not... Because that sounds... That's sounding like some... No, just It sounds like you're really clothes. trying to keep the robots under your thumb, Corey. I just don't want them to wear my clothes. Guess. There's probably a more important... Why don't you want the robot to wear your clothes? Like, they're not going to get them dirty. They don't sweat. You don't know. I know. Robots don't sweat. That's my first rule. Okay, there you go. See? Okay. did a little... Okay, so the robots aren't sweating. I don't know why you're not letting them wear your clothes. They would have to ask first, just like a person. They don't get special privileges just because they're doing laundry and chores and things or whatever we're having our robots do for us. I don't really like where this is heading. No? No. All right. So we got... Okay, so, so far, rules are, rules are robots. Number one... No killing. No killing. D- number two, <laughs> they all have to learn from Joe Piscopo on the holodeck That's what humor is. Not what I said. I'm paraphrasing very slightly. Yeah. Rule number three, no clothing. That You, can't... you want your robots to be nude? You want your robots barefoot and pregnant? Um... <laughs> Rule number four, no pregnant robots. Okay, no, rule number four is robots don't sweat. Oh, I forgot. No sweaty robots. Okay. Rule number five is no pregnant robots? Well... I don't think that's fair. If you give them the ability... Corey, you are setting up some draconian robot rules here. Well, I know they can't... Your robot, you're virtually guaranteeing a robot uprising against us. Okay, fine. Then what do you... They can take all your clothes, and then they can replicate themselves, and then, then what? And, and then what? You know, whatever, man. Oh, you're too laid back. No robot rules, just robot rights. <laughs> it's the Robot Burger King Kids Club. We only got one more to come up with. <laughs> come on, man. We're almost there. Okay. Fifth and most important rule, rule of robots. Mm-hmm. Robots, be cool. Just be cool, man. Yeah? Yeah. That's the most important rule. Cool is a rule. Yeah, but sometimes bad is bad. Okay, and rule number six, robots can't steal my Huey Lewis tapes. Oh, there's just going to be a lot of disappointed <laughs> robots out there. I suppose so. Um, That took a while, but it was important. I, I think it's important that we get this out of the way. And really, I think the most important one of those rules is the fifth law of robotics. Hey, robots, be cool. Be cool. Be cool, robots. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Beast Boy does a bunch of shit in this issue, and it seems like they set him up that like he's gonna go on a badass quest, and like he like powers himself up, and he's about to go all what's somebody who attacks things? Uh, Charles Bronson. Yeah, he's about to go on Charles Bronson on Zalin Rouge. Right. And then he just flies off, and then keeps going back to making little dumb jokes, self-deprecatingly in his head. It was kind of frustrating to me. I agree. I had the same observation. I was like, he he gave the good explanation of why he makes the stupid jokes, right? And then he like get, gives like a little speech about like, no, this is serious. They killed my parents, and that's the second set of parents I've seen them kill. Fuck those guys. I'm gonna go fuck them up. Mm-hmm. And then flies off and makes dumb little jokes in his head. Mm-hmm. That isn't for anybody else's benefit. Nope. Like, I was disappointed with that. So he needs to deprogram himself. Yeah. Right after he flies off, he sees the, the alleged earthquake that is, in fact, the ziggurat turning into a flying ziggurat and go, heading off to Zandia to go mm-hmm. attack him. Yep. He sees it. He's like, earthquake? 
Everything's shaking like a belly dancer's navel. That was actually kind of good. But still, that's not the mindset he was in when he took off. And that was disappointing to me. But what did not disappoint me was when he flew off, grabs onto the side of the cliff. I don't know why he turned back into his human form. There is some real going back and forth on how his powers work that I just don't understand. Mm-hmm. Like, is it does it strain him to turn into an animal? Is it hard for him to maintain an animal form for too long? Or does changing size... Like, apparently, like, he couldn't turn into a brachiosaur until the purple ray made him overload. So I guess he can turn into things of different size, but not that big or that small, and that's some kind of a strain. And he cannot change one part of his body to be one animal type and then another, because otherwise he would have done that. He was worried he was going to lose his grip on the cliff if he changed, which is weird because it makes you think he has to change back to a human first. Yeah, and I don't know why he didn't just, like, turn into a bird and fly alongside it. He was already a bird before. It was going too fast. Okay. I want to read the rules of his powers. Or, I guess I don't really, but I want to just know them. But what I did like about Beast Boy is it seemed like when he turned back into a human, he had much longer hair. And it looked pretty cool. And that made me wonder, like, is that something that his powers can do? Is a dude with longer hair a different kind of animal that he can change into? And how much of his own personal features can he alter just by, like, turning into that animal? Also, I always wondered this about Animal Man and, like, anybody who has, like, animal powers. Mm -hmm. They're living in a universe where Superman exists. Mm -hmm. Humans are animals. Mm -hmm. Kryptonians are animals. Mm -hmm. Why doesn't he just turn into a Kryptonian? And have Superman powers all the time. Mm. Seems like that would be a really good idea. How does it work, though? What sort of knowledge about the animal you're going to turn Like, into I don't think he, he has to know what the animal's cells look like. Okay. Like, I mean... So then, yeah, he should just yeah, be Why doesn't he just like, fucking turn just, into Superman yeah. all the goddamn time? Because I don't think he's a dope enough scientist, dude, that he knows, like, the inner... Like, I don't think he could build an albino baboon from scratch. Who could? I don't know. Do you think Bill Nye could? No, I don't think that's his his bag. What about Neil deGrasse Tyson? Definitely not his bag. He's got that imagination spaceship that like can go and fly into like inside a bear. Yeah, but they I don't think of them as like genetics guys. Okay. If you're a genetic guy and you're listening, or girl, if you're a genetic person and you're listening, why don't you build us an albino baboon? I don't see what could possibly go wrong. <laughs> Send that albino baboon that you've built to ttwasteland at gmail.com. And then we'll have it. Yep. What do you want to name him? Um, I don't know. Blinky? I, I want to name him Garfield. After Gar Logan? No. After the cat? No, after the president. Oh. Why? Yeah. I feel like he didn't get a good chance at things. He was really fat, right? Was no, he that's the fat Taft. One? That's Taft. Taft. Garfield, I mean, he got assassinated. Mm. And his last words were, it hurts. Oh. Yeah. Very human. Yeah. Mm. Very human. <laughs> not, not robot <laughs> Presidents, at all. They think they're people. <laughs> when Starfire and Raven and Wonder Girl show up in their jet and meet the boys in the jungle, there's a couple of things that happen. First of all, Robot, they apparently haven't told Robot Man the whole time that they were waiting for them who their teammates are. Because they tell them when they start to show up. And I misread what they said initially at first in a way that I thought they were being super dick to Beast Boy. Because Robot Man asks, who's up in that jerky jet? Yeah, I was like, what does he mean by that? I think he's just hoping they have some jerky in that jet. Mm. 
Superman and Green Lantern all rolled into one. And Robin's like, nah, but they're pretty powerful. It's Wonder Girl, Starfire, and Raven, our other members. I thought he said, no, it's Wonder Girl, Starfire, Raven, and our other member. Because hmm. Beast Boy's on that plane, too. And they just don't mention that. Hmm. That's true. I guess maybe they didn't know that Beast Boy would be with them. Yeah, because he was on Paradise Island and getting lizard. Yeah, but I thought they totally Gilligan's Island and the rest hid um, Beast Boy. Mm-hmm. Where, like, there's one person they haven't mentioned, and he's like, and everybody else. But what does happen is, Starfire's like, hey, Robin, I really missed you. And Robin's like, yeah, we gotta go to work. He's pulling a play from the old Teen Titans playbook. Gotta go where work Pretty out. girl, gotta go work out for, for a week. <laughs> Uh, what is she she dancing? Oh, yeah. Speaking of old Teen Titans, Robin notices that Wonder Girl's pretty shaken up because mm-hmm. of her adventures with Fuckface. Mm-hmm. And he asks her what happened, and she's like, "I, I really, I don't, I'm not ready to talk about it. It's really personal." And he says, "Hey, you know what? We've known each other longer than anybody else on the team. You can talk to me if you, if you ever need to talk to me, please do." And he doesn't push it too hard. Mm-hmm. I'm fine with him saying like. You know, if you're ready, I'm here for you if you ever need to talk. That's cool. What about Wally? He's known Wally longer than he's known her. And Wally's known her the exact same amount of time that he's known her. Maybe a little bit longer because Wally didn't fucking quit the team uh, during the Mr. Jupiter years for a few issues. I just thought he said we've known each other for like 10 years and so it's cool if you want to talk. No, he, he, he set it up so that it he, was like, I'm better. It's a superlative. He doesn't specifically say longer than Wally, but he says... Listen, we've been friends probably longer than anyone else here. And I think we've been good friends. They haven't been friends longer than anybody else there. Dick and Wally have been friends the longest. Mm-hmm. After that, I think Wally and Donna are tied with, with uh, Dick and Donna. I know what you mean. I think he's discounting Wally's friendship, and I don't like that. I don't think he's doing it to be a jerk. I, just I don't think, think he's doing it to be a jerk. Just, that's, we know how Robin I think he's is. doing it because he's a jerk. It's Robin's personality. Yeah. Man, we never got to see him at the circus either. Nope. I wonder if we ever will. I bet they just forgot that he had bought a circus recently. Or he guess he didn't buy the circus. We don't know what happened with the circus. No, he was going to go to it and <sighs> work. They're never going to get to the fireworks factory, are they, Corey? Never. God damn it. It's okay. It's not okay, Corey. Only one balm can soothe my savage nerves. Bag balm? No, I, guess, I mean, I guess that would be good too. Oh, is... albino baboon. Albino baboon. Yes, send us an albino baboon. But I was going to say that, you know what? Music hath powers to soothe the savage breast. <laughs> Is that the phrase? I think that's the actual phrase. I thought it was soul. What? To soothe the savage soul? No, nobody's ever said that. I think most people think it's the savage beast. Oh. But I'm pretty sure it was savage breast. <laughs> okay. Anyway... Rick, you want to sing us into the minutiae? <laughs> we got minutiae. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutiae. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutiae. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. And you will all be relieved to know that I am correct. The quote is, music hath charms to soothe the savage breast. Good. It often gets misquoted as music has powers to soothe the savage beast. But the original quote was breast. And it was by William Congreve. Thanks, William Congreve. And thanks, Rick. Indeed. My savage breast is soothed. Hmm. 
So, what do you want to start with? How about sound? Yeah. There were so many. There were so many, but I do have a clear winner in mind. Me too. What were some of your favorites? Well, uh, we touched on it already, but when the laser beam blew up the president's head, it made a zwit. That was a good one. Zwit. Yep. Yep. With two T's. I also, it was on the last page when we are introduced to the Brotherhood of Evil. Mm-hmm. Blip, blip, blip. Oh, yeah. One thing I, I liked the blip, blip, blip. It's kind of, it's not the best sound effect, but the context of it is, it's as the brain is talking, and he's just speaking English, Monsieur Mala is reaching over and pushing buttons on the side of him, <laughs> and it's going blip, blip, blip. Like, how do I shut this so, thing off? So, I, I don't know if he's, like, programming it to talk, or changing his voice, or modifying it in some way, or if he's just, like, doing general repairs, or some kind of a robot massage. But I really like the idea that while somebody's talking, just poking buttons on their side and going blip, blip, blip. Blip, blip, blip. That was cute. That was cute. But my absolute favorite. Do you have any others you want to talk about before we get to the number one? Yeah, I was the maybe the first time that I've seen this happen was where there's a sound effect, which is also referenced in a character's speech. And it's, which it's, is that? It's a scrag. What's interesting is, yeah, so Cyborg uses the term in a like a speech bubble but then later the term also gets used when the jet gets uh blown up does that mean we gotta sit back and let the little witch and her goose stepping pal scrag logan for kicks yep i mean no yeah i mean no they don't have to but that's the that's i've not seen that before where somebody says something scrag and then that's the actual noise that the plane getting blown up makes yeah, that's a good really, point. Doesn't sound like a blowing up things noise to me. No, but I mean, he gets scragged. You're yeah. right. There is a fun one that I just noticed when we were flipping through. And it's when, it's right before the most awkward kiss ever. Oh, no, I'm sorry. It's not. It's the other time when somebody dresses up like Steve Dayton's dead wife. Mm. It's when Raven does that. And he thinks he's killing her. And it's kind of snapping her out of it. And he goes, Rita, so terrible, so very terrible. Oh, Lord, Lord, I'm burning up, Steve. I can't last much longer. Because that's really Raven. Mm -hmm. And he goes, Rita, Rita, woo! <laughs> it's not a W, it's an N. Oh, I thought it was a W. <laughs> no, he's going, no! <laughs> <laughs> The way the W, like the word bubble of him saying Rita obscures the beginning of the N and it really looks like he's, to me, changes the whole meaning. He's going, woo! He's throwing his head back with just great abandon. Just Ric Flaring it up. No, that's not at all what is happening. He's, it's the opposite. <laughs> Do you really think he was saying woo? I didn't when I first read it, but I was just looking at it totally <laughs> Well, that brings us to... Wait, wait, wait. I didn't get my favorite yet. Uh, that's what I'm going to say. Oh. I, I, I think we have the same favorite. Is it a helicopter crash that makes this noise? Oh, no. It is a Donna throwing a large rock at some robot <laughs> makes the following sound effect. Spunk! <laughs> With three Ks. <laughs> It just doesn't make any goddamn sense. No, I don't know how you have three Ks at the end of a word make any difference. Like, it seems like that would be the same noise as one K. Uh, mm. I don't know how a boulder smashing into robots makes the noise spunk. But it does. And there you have it. Yep. That was yours too? Yep. 
Spunk with three Ks it is. <laughs> Sartorially speaking? Yeah. And this is one that you, you may be able to illuminate me on. So what I had is on the last panel when we we're introduced to the Brotherhood of Evil. Yes. The dude on the far right who's got this crazy like orange and gold kind of okay. orange and yellow. Get up. That's a crazy outfit. That is a crazy outfit. Basically, it looks like a weaponized turtleneck. He looks cool. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> is he a dick? I think he's kind of a dick. I mean, honestly, the Brotherhood of, of Evil are all a bunch of dicks. Even for a group of supervillains, they're pretty murdery, if memory serves. That being said, I love those dudes. Mm. That guy's name is Warp. He can teleport. The Monsieur Mala... I love a giant ape with a French accent who is a, I believe he's a surgeon. I love Monsieur Mala. Uh, I didn't want to talk sartorially speaking too. Generally, I am used to seeing him wearing a little beret and I wished I was the case. Oh, that sounds delightful. He's not wearing it in this one and I, I, I think he his, his suffers for it. I want that giant ape in a beret. That's fair. But I also, we talked a little bit about Steve Dayton's uh, Mentos fresh maker outfit mm -hmm. i think it's pretty fresh it, with the exception of the weird ridges on the top it's kind of batman shaped but without any ears so there's no reason for it to be batman shaped that part does look pretty goofy to me but my favorite sartorially speaking thing that happens in this is our old buddy robot man in the flashback when oh. robot man is Waking up and realizing that he is a robot, not only is he a human brain inside a completely roboticized body, but someone has dressed that robot body in fancy pajamas. And I love that. And Vic, take a note out of this guy's playbook. Get some fucking fancy Like, you can wear clothes. There's no reason why you can't wear clothes. Except for maybe some kind of a bylaw that happened in comic books where black characters are not allowed to wear shirts. Because we see that with Hugon. Mm -hmm. which I am almost certainly mispronouncing horribly. Uh, but he's the dude with the giant feathery headdress, the only black character, and he, again, gets the very Bronze Age black character costume of pretty much just suspenders that meet at the crotch. It's like that um, swimsuit that Sasha Baron Cohen was Yeah, wearing. yeah. Like that, or like Vampirella. I, I guess it's kind of a Zardoz uniform. But uh, also, at one point, Vic is talking to Robot Man. He's like, oh, so you're not a cyborg? You're fully robot? And he's like, yup. No. If you're a human brain, mm -hmm. you're a cyborg. That's true. Bad job. That's also true. You right. tell them. I did. So, speaking of telling people that they're doing a bad job, let's take this party to the Bozone. What was your favorite zinger? What was your favorite instance of someone calling somebody else a bozo? I had a couple. I think my favorite is Starfire speaking of the Fresh Makers get up and uh, saying to Robin, I think it was, tell me if I'm wrong, but isn't that uniform dot 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 rather ludicrous? <laughs> <laughs> I bet Starfire gets away with a ton of shit like that. Like, just, like, playing up her naivete and being like, I'm sorry, I'm new here, but aren't you what Earth people would call a big dummy? <laughs> That's really good. Both of mine, though, come from Madame Rouge. Oh, shit. And it's the same one both times, but she delivers it a couple of times. The first time is specifically at Steve Dayton when she 
tricks him into the bad makeout. And she says, You moronic simpleton! <laughs> How easy it was to fool you by simply altering my body shape. <laughs> oh, moronic simpletons. Uh, which she comes back to later in the issue. She has been disguising herself as Beast Boy. They come in for a closer look, and there is a delightful shot of Beast Boy being super happy and whipping out a gun. You realize that it is Madame Rouge, and she says, Simpletons! All of them! These so-called superheroes, they are all mindless buffoons. Mindless buffoons. Ha 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 These simpletons are mindless buffoons. That's a good little turn of a phrase. I like that. Yeah. It's not bad. I mean... Don't get me wrong. I am not on Team Madame Rouge here. No. No. She sides with Nazis. No good. No good. But, good turn of phrase. This is a tricky one for me. Who did you have as your speedy? The Titan who did the worst job in this issue. <sighs> I, had, I feel like there was a fair amount of choice. There really was. With this one, I ran against the problem of having a ton of options for my speedy. And a really difficult time finding an Aqualad. So, who are your potential speedies and why? Well, uh, Raven for just mind fuckery. Yep. And Robin for being a know-it-all about where earthquakes happen in Africa and then not being able to stop the plane from crashing. Yep. And otherwise not doing a whole lot. Yeah. I also would add to that list Donna. She didn't uh, do much. She didn't do much, but one thing that she did do was when Beast Boy is all like, we gotta fucking get these guys. They killed my parents. She gives him this little speech. It's like, now wait, Garfield, we're all angry about this. I was, are you Are you all angry? Did these people kill your parents? Let the dude have his rage. I. It seemed super condescending and just like, this is not your place to intervene, Donna. That you, you picked a bad thing to say there mm -hmm. and that really annoyed me uh and adding to robin's list i would say uh i did not like that he diminished the value of wally and donna's friendship and mm -hmm. his own friendship with wally mm. it, it really came down to donna or raven though and although i was really upset with donna's hey look we're all angry that your parents got murdered i oh, decided to go yeah no kidding i decided to go with Raven for A, the emotional manipulation of dressing up like the dude's dead wife to thwart him. I feel like she had other options. And the unnecessary talk with Wally. Mm -hmm. Which, I think we've talked about this in the past, but if anybody ever says to you, we need to talk, <laughs> run. <laughs> literally run. Me and my friend Ellen used to practice drills where if one of us said that to the other, the other person had to literally run away and try to turn over some bar stools or chairs to create debris that would make chasing more difficult. I had uh, told my girlfriend that story and um, joking around like the next day, she was like, we need to talk. And um, I was like, I sat down and I was like, oh shit, about what? And she's like, you're supposed to knock shit over and run oh, away. Oh, Corey. <laughs> I was like, oh God, you got me. <laughs> it was good. Nice. Yep. Although... You just lost 20 quarry points. I was afraid of that. <laughs> this means I have no more veto power. Terribly sorry. Uh, Who was your speedy? I'm going to go with Raven also. Yeah? Same yeah. reasons? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's plenty. Okay. Mostly, mostly the talk. 
Yeah. That yeah, the talk rankled that was, me. That was rough. Conversely, every issue has to have an Aqualad. Of the Titans, which Titan did the best job? I had a toss-up here also. Uh-huh. I don't know. I think I'm going to give it to Gar, since it wasn't actually Gar that blew up the jet. Yeah. I like that he just asserted himself more so. I mean, they did kind Somewhat. of Somewhat. They walked it back it. almost they, immediately. Which and was annoying. he but... didn't actually do a very good job. Which is why my backup <laughs> is probably a better choice. And that's why I thought that uh, Wally actually got a lot done in this issue. Like what? Uh, he made the tornado for the bad robot guys and got rid of a bunch of them. He, he did do that. That was a weird scene, though, because it was right after Wonder Girl and Raven and Starfire jump out of the plane and say, we can move the fastest of anyone here. And it's like, really? Can you? I'm pretty sure there's a dude on your team called Kid Flash. Yeah. Yeah, that was weird. What about the Junior Wizard of Wiz, guys? The Wizard of Wiz. He was the only one that escaped Mento's initial blast because he was fast enough. He wasn't able to parlay that into rescuing his teammates, though. No, but he he did. He got an A for effort. Okay. Yeah, I went with Starfire, actually. She shot a lot of people. She shot a lot of people. And the scene that she was actually overwhelmed by the robots, you see how many people it took to take her out. And that was pretty impressive. Also, I did like that she, I think, hid behind her Stranger in a Strange Land naivete to really lay a pretty good diss down on uh, on the Mento studs. Yeah. No, that's hard to, that's hard to argue with. And also, yeah. she was really her authentic self. Like, she was reveling in being able to actually shoot people, like, full power and yeah. like, fuck shit up. Yeah. She's like, this is what it's all about yeah and i mean i i know it's supposed to be about this issue not the previous issue but she did win a kangaroo rodeo and that, that's got to count in her favor yeah yeah <laughs> 20 star points yep oh minimum we only got a couple of these left what was the show and tell moment in this issue for you i think it was after raven's mind fuckery of of the fresh maker. Okay. When he's laying collapsed on the ground and somebody, I forget who it is, says from off panel, you did it, Raven. He stopped. <laughs> it's like, no shit. You That's... just gave the guy this horrible, horrible <laughs> experience. It's so bad that he just collapsed. That's fair. I decided to go with Wolfman's decision to explain how the landing mechanism of the plane works. Oh, the abbreviation. Yeah. Gotcha, Rob. Converting to VTOL now. Vertical takeoff and landing. Forward momentum gives way to powerful vertical thrust from the T-Jet's sleek belly, and the great ship lowers itself onto the grassy knoll. I'm okay with their superpowered people when a super jet. Mm-hmm. It lands. I mean, I, I understand, I guess, landing a jet in the jungle would be difficult. I felt like that was over-explaining, and I didn't need that. Well, he was flexing his riding muscle, like you said. Fair enough. The craft sleek belly. Yes, yes, he really... I don't want him to strain his writing lat, though. Nope. I thought it was traps. Oh, he's, oh you got a writing muscle in your lat. One of your lats is a writing muscle. Your trapezius has a writing muscle. Dang. And then there's uh, there's one in your brain. Those are the three big writing muscles. Seems like they should... Huh. I'm pretty sure. I mean, I was right about that savage breast thing. <laughs> That's true. All right. So we got the show and tell. What was your favorite panel? There was a lot of good art in this. It was a beautiful issue. I don't think we've even talked about the art, but it it's all great. 
I feel like it doesn't get mentioned far too often, but Perez and Romeo Tangal, every one of these issues is fucking beautiful, and there's so much detail in every panel. So much detail. That said, out of the four or so choices I had, I'm going to go with page 15's Startled Kiss, because that just cracked me <laughs> Yeah, up. the bad smooch is a pretty good panel, It's and a lot is conveyed in that panel. I had a couple of choices, too. I really did like the delighted evil beast boy whipping out a gun out of nowhere. I had that, too. Robot Man in his pajamas almost makes the cut for me. It's really cool looking. He looks so pissed off, and he's wearing pajamas, and he's a robot. That's really good. One that is in really strong contention, which we talked about briefly, is the triptych of robots eventually overwhelming Starfire as she kills tons of them. It's a really clever way to do that scene, and it really conveys how many of these dudes are piling on her. Really cool looking. But the actual, I I can't get away from it, my favorite is one that I call, oh boy do they ever, (laughs) the Brotherhood of Evil lives again. And it's just, it's a group shot of the Brotherhood of Evil, and they just look fucking badass. You got Warp and his weaponized turtleneck. You got Green Lady, who I forget who the hell she is. Kemo, I think it is. Monsieur Mala, the brain. And Hoogan, who I am pronouncing wrong. But it's rad. Indeed. There is one thing I wanted to talk about that happened in the letters column. It's in the answer to a question. The conceit of this letter column is that it is written by Marv Wolfman, and it is signed by Marv Wolfman. Here's how he answers a question, though. Mark, it's strange that you should mention taking a break, because in a sense, we are. You see, after issue 8, we plunged into one earth-shattering battle after another because we were somewhat afraid the reader reaction to our all-human interest story would be negative. We couldn't be farther from the truth. The male loved it. So, now, after issue 15, we'll do some very strong characterization stories, most of which should rectify some of the problems that you mentioned above. We'll be concentrating on all our titans trying to resolve some of the problems we've set up in the first 15 issue. We really hope you like what we're doing. By the way, Marv thanks you for the mention of Green Lantern. It's a book he really enjoys writing, and yes, it does have occasional tie-ins with the Titans. So, till the next issue, take care. Best, Marv Wolfman. So either he refers to himself in the third person, third person or he's or got a lackey. I, which is fine. I, I think it's actually more common for the editor to write the letters column, but it was just kind of a weird disconnect. But I do like that they're going to be getting back to more human interest stories because, as we talked about, I think issue eight was my favorite of the mm-hmm. issues that we've had so far. Uh, it's really, really fun. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to those upcoming issues. I'm looking forward to really finding out what the hell's going on in Zandia with the two groups of bad guys and Beast Boy seemingly caught in the middle between them. I'm hoping it can turn into a, like a fistful of dollars or a Yojimbo mm-hmm. type situation because mm-hmm. that would be pretty dope. Although, Much as I do think Beast Boy has made some strides recently, dude is no Clint Eastwood and he's definitely no Toshiro Mifune. Agree on both points. Thanks for listening along. I hope this... We'll be back next week with the Avengers Defenders War. And we will be back in two weeks when we find out whether it is going to be a Yojimbo situation. Mm Mm-hmm. Probably not. Maybe, though. I'm really curious as to what's going to happen in Zandia. And maybe we'll find out what Warp does with his weaponized turtleneck. I hope so. All right. See you later. Don't let those robots wear your clothes. No, don't do it.
Oh, also, if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can do so at ttwasteland.gmail.com. You can find us on the internet. Uh, we're on iTunes, where I hope you can write us a five-star review, please, despite this episode. <laughs> um, you can find us on Twitter. If you'd like to make a donation, you can do so at patreon.com backslash ttwasteland. And, uh, yeah, thanks for your patronage. Enjoy, enjoy. Mmm, baboon. Weaponize your turtle, mate. The Penguin in Penguins on Parade. Look, a parade of emperor penguins. Must be an advertising gimmick. You aren't looking at penguins, my dear. They're puppets in a pecuniary plot, which will soon thicken. While everyone's engaged by my penguins, I shall take possession of the emperor's sword and a king's ransom in gems and history. Well, well, well. Someone has left some hostess fruit pies easily accessible. Apple and cherry. I think a little stopover to enjoy would not be amiss. We put the emperor penguins and the emperor's sword together, and we knew that you had to be near. And thanks to hostess fruit pies, you're not only near, but caught. Oh, well, I didn't get a fortune in gems, but I did get a light, tender crust and real fruit filling of hostess fruit pies. The day wasn't a total loss. You get a big delight in every bite of hostess fruit pies. He says wank, wank, wank all the time. I mean, it's not written in the thing. It's implied. Oh, that's true, probably.